This is the 80s glam metal cast, and today we talk to a Sunset Strip veteran, London singer Nader DeVries. We discuss London's latest release, Call That Girl. We talk past albums, famous past members, and the decline of Western civilization too. Check it out. Nader, welcome to the 80s glam metal cast. How you doing tonight, sir? Good, man. How you doing, Mike? Great to be here. Great, great. Hey, I got to ask you, how's the weather in uh, California? Right now, it's a little overcast. And, uh, we have a lot of uh, clouds and rain and water, um, so it keeps coming on and off. Uh, so we have quite a bit of rain coming in. Well, in New York, it's about 20 degrees. It's kind of like a Russian winter. No. <laughs> 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 So you guys put out a new album this year called Call That Girl. It's got some great hard rock and heavy metal tunes on it. Your, your unique voice is still intact. Uh, what do you want to tell the listeners about this album? Well, the album, as, as I said, uh, was recorded in Las Vegas, Nevada. We spent a, uh, a few years working on it. It was recorded at Desert Moon Production uh, Studios, which is owned by uh, Corey, the Count uh, Coker. You've seen him at Counting Cars. Uh, and all those great cars you've got. Well, he has an amazing recording studio, and we had the pleasure of recording there. And we got uh, an outstanding, uh, you know, acoustic drum sound, and uh, we were really just really happy to work there. Uh, again, we took a little longer than we, uh, we, we planned, but, you know, um, I think it worked out for the best because it, it wasn't a rush job. We weren't on a on a set date to, to, to record, unlike in the past, you know, the world has laid one behind, going, oh, you've got to get to town by this time, which I go any further than that, and blah, blah, blah. So this sound was self-produced, and, uh, you know, uh, um, really, I didn't, wasn't counting, you know, the clock at the studio by the hour, you know? <laughs> yeah. So that makes a big difference when you're recording in your own album and you know, your own productions. Stuff like that. So yeah, man, it was great. We we had a great time recording it. It's been a pretty classic sounding, uh, you know, no no uh no uh no um really crazy addition to it other than just a bunch of guys playing together just like back in the day. So it was a lot of fun recording. You know, I gotta say for an independent album, I mean the sound production is amazing. It really is. Oh, I'm glad you, you like it. Thank you so much. Uh, it was uh, uh, actually um, I got to uh, to work with a gentleman named uh, Dennis Ward. Uh, he's actually from Texas, but he lives in Germany, and uh, he um, he basically uh, did a great job with the you know with the uh, mixes and stuff, and uh, as far as uh, the mastering and all that good stuff, we we, we spent a lot of time back and forth on this thing, but. Uh, to the final end of it, I thought it came out pretty good. Sounds like you like it. Glad to hear that you noticed it. <laughs> <laughs> so one song, we'll talk about a few of the songs. Um, Call That Girl. You know, this one, I got to uh, let the listeners beware here. This is very catchy. It will get stuck in your head. It definitely has that late 80s, you know, pop metal vibe, Dr. Feelgood, Permanent Vacation. You know, that's the vibe I get from this song. It's catchy, man. It's hooky. It's very funky, yet rock and roll, and the chorus is, is very sticky. And uh, as a matter of fact, my friends over at the, at the Whiskey of Bezo, uh, uh, Michael and, and Jake and all the guys there, they uh, were playing the record, 
and somebody played it, and they thought it was the phone going off. You know, somebody was yelling, hey, answer the phone, answer the phone, not knowing that it was actually a cell phone. You know what I mean? It was very catchy, and uh, so that was good to hear that uh, it's kind of become, you know, a little bit uh, of, a, of a stick on for, for people to have. You know, that's what you want. That's, that's the hook, you know. You want that chorus to kick in. No doubt. How about Metal Nations? That kind of reminds me of like old school London. You've got the heavy riffs. You got some uh, screams in there. Yeah, that's a pretty. That's just to make sure that that uh, everyone knows that I can still deliver that hard, hard to heavy metal stuff. I mean, we 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 enjoy playing that. That's that's that actually is a song. Uh, has a little bit of a story. Um, it, that one came from a two song that I uh, co-wrote with the guys, you guys inside of the world there in short. It's uh, with you know, uh, a guy named Jack Frost. You know Jack the Seven Witches? Yes, I've heard of him, yep. Uh, yeah, well, he actually, uh, and I, him and I uh, had worked on recording together, but we never really got together, and uh, he had handed me some uh, ideas and riffs and stuff, and at the end of it all, that's what we got right there. So, Metalation is an excellent song. Very happy with the, with the punchy sound and, and all those great uh, vocals and drums and everything. It was, it was really rock. It's American heavy metal, you know? Oh, no doubt. Another one that caught my ears, uh, especially, I think, because of the lyrics, was uh, Reach Up to the Skies. What, what's the what's the story behind that one? Well, you know, uh, I, I, I mean, the, the lyrics are a little heavy, but uh, it's just a message that, you know, uh, it, it, I think that sometimes uh, uh, we kind of, like, uh, sit on our own minds and, and, you know, we get depression and, and, and things in your mind that can set and, uh, and you tend not to do, uh, for yourself or others and nothing. You get behind, you know, uh, you could be alcohol, drugs, anything like that. So, uh, I, and so I think that, uh, the message is that, you know, you gotta reach and help somebody or help, you know, uh, help, you know, help, try to help someone, try to be kind to someone, you know. You know, you know, reach out to the skies. I think that's basically just the message saying, you know, if you don't have an answer, you know, uh, look, look, look at the, uh, at the creator or the, you know, the one that's far away from us that we can't reach and we can't see that apparently is, uh, is going to come back and judge us. You know, I think it has a whole lot of that, uh, religious factor in it. But, uh, it was just, you know, a song that, uh, it's you know pretty uh, pretty uh, intense for me. Yeah. That's a great message. So let's jump back a little bit to uh, to "Don't Cry Wolf." Now this is the album. This is the first album that I ever picked up by London, and I'm trying to remember yes. <laughs> if I bought it because the the band looked cool on the cover, or if it was because of "Decline of Western Probably. Civilization" <laughs> too. What are your memories of making that album? Well, I think that I think that uh, when people saw the cover, they thought a light glam metal band, you know, because it didn't look the part. The outfits for, for that album were very, uh, how would you say, super, super duper glammy, super bright, you know. But the band at that point in our lives, uh, not counting, you know, not stop rock and don't cry wolf, you know, we were doing songs like No Tell Motel, you know. Uh, 
We went to, we were doing nonstop rock. We were doing like hard, heavy metal songs. For us, it was hard rock, heavy metal. Um, and remember, I came into London when London was doing, you know, uh, a British pop G right stuff or rock and roll, you know, they were like, uh, you know, and that British sound that wasn't happening at the time. When I came in, I was totally covered in heavy metal, dark. I was in a dark place. My content, my screens, everything was completely opposite to what London was doing. So by the time we picked Don't Cry Wolf, you know, we already, uh, we're touching all these other songs like Drop the Bomb, you know, uh, uh, let's go Set Me Free, you know, uh, it just, you know, uh, Fast as Life, and, you know, working with Kim Fowling and all that. So all those memories of all those things that you hear on those songs, um, had a lot of intensity because we were starving, uh, but we were making records. But yet we were, uh, you know, to be in charge with other bands and, you know, getting, getting the attention, but yet not getting the attention. And, um, so it, Don't Cry Wolf was, uh, it was a good time and everything, but it was also a, a rough time because we also had, uh, a lot of toxicity going on within, within the individuals in the band, you know what I mean? Like, the, the candy was good, the party was good, and uh, sometimes people weren't prioritizing, you know what I mean? Totally, totally, but I, yeah, yeah, I agree. There was just so many things going on at that time, you know? And Tim Fowler was a hypoglycemic, so he had a bit of a, of a multiple personality thing going on. And he uh, basically produced the album. I mean, when he was there, he was great to work with, but... Uh, uh, I think that basically made, that was the easiest thirty thousand dollars we ever made. <laughs> 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 but you know, we got to work with Gene Marrow, the uh, the guy who was actually assistant engineering to Van Halen's uh, "Federal Warning" at Sunset Sound. So we had him mixing this album and engineering it. He gave us a heavy big bass sound. You can hear it. Oh, 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 oh. You go bass. Uh, and he wanted to make him a name for himself after a fair warning because he was just sitting at that time, you know what I mean? And, uh, and we were trying to make it happen and we needed someone that uh, can give us that sound, at least that we thought at the time was, you know, was cool and, uh, and Kim Fowley brought in, you know, that element of other connections and, you know, little things here and there. So we had a great time recording it. Uh, you know, I had a pleasure of sitting down with Lizzie Gray work all those guitar things that you hear on there and those guitars because London was not playing that type of music. So um, in the beginning, it was a little hesitant. Um, it was harder for Lizzie to conform to that heavy metal, but actually he was a, a, a really good, um, uh, um, how would you say, riff, um, riff guy for, 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 for London, but she had even more talent when he sat down with you and you picked his brain, I was able to get a lot of stuff with him in there. So, you know, we had a real good time writing it. Brian West, same thing, bass player of London. I still talk to him. So we go back and think about all this stuff. I went with Kim and, and Lizzie and, 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 and in that period uh, of time. And, uh, you know, uh, he was just really young and uh, he had a blast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's funny because you said those riffs didn't really come that natural to him because, but the riffs are amazing on that album. I mean, that's a straight up metal album for sure. 
Yeah, he wasn't a player like that. Well, he, like, you know, when we were doing like, like uh, you know, you know, that stage, chugga, 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 that you have to do on metal, you know, London never did songs like that. So we, we had a lot of, a lot of the things we got to, uh, um, work on those because we had to translate those live and he was used to doing that. And that's when I started bringing a second guitar player. You know, because London in reality was blind, mean, busy, and it was uh, Bobby Marks or Bobby Eisenberg, as you can tell, and, uh, and, and uh, Izzy Stratton, and that was it. You know what I mean? Whose um, idea was it to do? You know, whose idea was it to do? Oh, darling. That was my idea, and the only reason I did it was because I did it once live on stage in the 80s, and fucking um, I had great, like, people loved it, and they're screaming, and the girls are going crazy, and I'm like, oh, we got, we got to do this again. So we ended up recording it. It's funny because, uh, well, I mean, the Beatles are the Beatles, right? So, I mean, I feel like, you know, a country artist could do a Beatles song. It's going to be incredible. Metal can do Beatles. I mean, listen to Helter Skelter. I mean, that's just, uh, that's an animal, you know what I mean, when, when crew does it. Well, you know, yeah, Godzilla is a good example. You know, they they they, they do, uh, you know, uh, you know, songs that uh, that are really cool, like you know, uh, what is what is that song they did? Uh, Living Let Die. Let Die. Choice of the song to play, you know. Um, but uh, you know, none as far as what we did, we did songs like you know, like uh, Eighteen by Alice Cooper. We. We did uh, old, uh, you know, like Bubbling the Bells, Halls, you remember that song? Uh, not our, obviously our version of it. So, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so, you know, it was, it, was, uh, it was a mixture of things going on. So, this album was also an independent release, but man, it must have had some pretty serious distribution because, you know, Punk Like Me bought the cassette here in uh, upstate New York, so there had to be pretty decent distribution on this thing. Well, we had we had some distribution on Don't Quiet Wolf uh, to Access Records in the UK. I remember, and then I know Roadrunner was pretty tough out. But you know what? Don't Quiet Wolf, the original release. I don't think we we pressed that many copies. You know what I mean? I think of anything we pressed maybe no more than five hundred copies, six hundred copies. I'm telling you, and uh, I'm watching my copies online being sold for fucking four fifty dollars pop. You know what I mean? So, but um, again, I don't know because we had a pretty shady manager at the time, so I guarantee you that that's what that was. EK was, you know what I mean? But we will never know the real amount that was pressed. Why is this not on Spotify? Who owns the masters? I have the masters. I own the masters. I just I've been I've been selling it. My album has been selling online. You know, it's been Portugal, Spain, Israel, uh, Japan. Uh, you guys don't know about it because nobody really knows what I do. But uh, uh, don't cry wolf right now. If I have it, I have it on Digipack with a mini twelve inch poster inside with obscene photos from back in the day. Uh, and uh, remastered at Capitol Studios, and uh, I have it out right now, man. I, you know, I, I have it on eBay, and people ask, ask, they ask for that album, 
and asked for uh, nonstop block, which I also just put out uh, again through uh, uh, through the same masters and everything on DigiPack. So the new pictures from back when we actually showed us the recordings that we uh, we were doing at the time for that album. You know, when we were with Mike Barney at the time. So uh, right now I'm. I have all the merchandise uh, basically lined up, and I have more stuff coming up that has never been heard before. So, um, you know, I'm just waiting for uh, for things to calm down a little bit. As you know, Lizzie Gray just passed away, and, uh, and uh, it, for me, it was a little big blow for me to see him. So, uh, we'll go like that. So, we do what I got the plans to go back and record something together. Shit just happens, you know what I mean? Have, had you but, been uh, in yeah. contact with him um, before he passed? Well, you know, that was the thing that I, we, we, I lived in Las Vegas for four years, man, and he lived in Las Vegas, and we never talked on the phone. He never wanted to be reached out and all that, and, you know, four months ago, he called me. You know, said to give him a call. Uh, he said, give me a uh, we were exchanging numbers between him and his sister and all that, and me and all that, and, uh, and I couldn't fucking believe it. I got him on the phone, and we were talking, you know, and we got him on the phone for hours. And, uh, we were going to get together and uh, trying to record an album called, uh, you know, uh, London Underground, and I got a list of songs that he wanted to do, and I go back and not say anything to anyone. I had everything all planned out with him, and uh, we had three more conversations, and, uh, man, it was weird. All of a sudden, he sounded good, and the next day, the dude is dying. You know what I mean? Right. There's, you know, there's, uh, there's just a really, man, that was what a big blow right there. And he has two daughters and stuff like that, so. But anyway, that that's where we're at. So I'm sitting with... Uh, with a little bit of a morning right now because of this happening. I didn't want to look like I'm, like I'm just wanting, hey, let's, let's just make money at the bed. Yeah. <laughs> you know? No, I know. So I didn't want to, you know, but I am going to do a cool tribute to Lizzie. I, I have songs that fuck people don't even know about. I have cassettes, boxes, full of cassettes of tunes from back in the day with Tommy Amato on drums and, you know, from Rita Ford's band back in the day. We're all with Tony Richards and Ross on drums. I mean, I got stuff that that Lizzie and I did that never got released. It was part of that, uh, you know, uh, Don't Cry Wolf, you know, saga. And uh, so things that never made it to the table, you know. So I, you know, I, um, I'm looking forward to eventually putting those out and, uh, and uh, continuing on with the, with, uh, with Lizzie's, uh, you know, with Lizzie's memory, man. Yeah, I'm sure the fans would appreciate that. Yeah, we, we, we definitely want to do something, something nice, you know? So, but yeah, man, Don't Cry Wolf was an excellent album. <laughs> <laughs> so most people got exposed to London because of Decline of Western Civilization, too. Now, Nader, I haven't watched that, I don't think, since I was a kid. So before our interview, I went back and I revisited it a little bit. And I got to say, uh, watching it as a kid uh, versus watching it as an adult is very different. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, um, my thought is that, uh, well, I'm glad you got to see it. Um, we just, uh, a few years back, uh, we, uh, 
we went uh, in, I was called in with Penelope Ferris to go back to the Metal Shears the DVD box set that they put out. I don't know if you knew about that. The four CD DVD. And I had to go in there and do a little bit of talking and recording to do some overdubs and stuff, narrating, you know, a little bit and all that. And uh, went back uh, to the Museum of Los Angeles and LACMA, where it got inducted as a classic film. And uh, we went in there to do some sort of, uh, you know, a, a viewing for 35 millimeter the original print. There were 600 people in there that never seen it, man. And uh, I was embedded in between these people, which are a lot younger than me, and I had not seen it in years. And wow, I'm so glad my kids weren't there. <laughs> 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 Holy shit, I forgot about my mouth. I was like, oh my God, I forgot this. I don't see the edited stuff. When I got in there, my God, I was turning red. <laughs> and then I got on stage and talked with Ricky and Penelope and front of all these people. And I'm like, hey, shit. You know? Anyway, you can catch that on, on YouTube on my channel. It's a, a LACMA. It's a huge thing. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, people love the fucking the, 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 the film. They still do. I mean, they were clapping at the end of it all, you know. It was just a, there was just a different time. If you go back, it almost looks like, like these, these people from back in the day were doing this shit, you know. Like, you're like, wow, look at the clothes. You're like, going, oh, my God, who wears their hair like that anymore, you know. It's like, it's, it really looks really different when you look at it now in our time and age and the way the new generation is, you know, how much more independent we were back then, stronger character and not to supply. <laughs> <laughs> what would what would Nader two thousand nineteen say to Nader nineteen eighty eight? Oh, get fucking over it, you fucking pussies. Move on. <laughs> Not really, man. This generation is it's like hand it over. Give it to me now. I gotta have it. I don't wanna work for it. I want it handed to me. And I want it on my thumb. Fucking hand him a pencil, a piece of paper, and just give him a pencil. Here you go, get a job. You won't know how to do it. It has to be a hand it has to be on on a on a, on a, on a unit. It has to be on a, on a phone with everything on it half an app. That's our new generation is. It's all based around a little app, and, and, and that's how they make music now. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's just amazing. I'm blown away by everything you can it's funny because a lot of it, I guess as a kid, I didn't notice that. I mean, there's there's some negativity in that movie, especially when you go to like Chris Holmes when he's wasted in the pool and they're asking him, is he trying to hide some pain? I mean, I mean that's there's some negative stuff going on there, you know? Well, you gotta be real. Uh, you have to be real about this. Everyone who's involved in music industry, um, I would have to say not everyone, but I will say I know the reason I say everyone is because if you're in it, you're you're still getting shit on your body. You know what I mean? So uh, that means that uh, you know if you're in it, you come from a home where your A wasn't happening because your B, your dad or mom weren't there. See, uh, you were just, you know, eventually fucking out of your mind. Or three, you're uh, in, in a transition from from being a child and adult, or being lesbian, being uh, non-lesbian, being whatever. And and, and uh, 
and or an artist or wanted to be an artist. And, and in reality, you know, everyone that you need in the industry has a story, you know what I mean? And it's not always pretty. But when you see it on film and you're like going there, you know, looking at it like that, and, and it's a little more of an impact in your face. Like, you know, people would go, ooh, man, look at that. He's getting drunk with his mom, you know, and all that shit. You know, that why you know, a lot of friends of mine will be in high and drunk with them. You know, as a matter of fact, I knew friends of mine who were banging my friend's on. Say what? You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, like the mom doing your friends. I mean, come on, and not my mom. There was so much weirdness back in as a kid, but you know, you you kind of got through it and you fight your way through it, and and uh, and um, you know, and that's how it was. And now it's even worse now. People are crazier now. They're doing more shit than we used to do back then. You know, we were a lot more basic back then. Yeah, I agree. So you get to 1990, uh, Playa del Rock. Uh, why the name change from London to Depreece for the band? That actually was done through um, the president of uh, the record company at the time was Noise Records, the German label. And I don't know if you remember, they had uh, Creator, Mordred, Celtic Fop, London. Well, they thought that the name London just had a lot of luggage. And the president of the record company called Walter Bach, you know, and then uh, the president of the New York, no, president of the New York office, Bruce Kirkland, decided that it would be a good idea to change the name to the police. I personally did not change the name, just to be clear, because I think there's a lot of, back then, you know, there was a lot of old band, and so fucking change the name of the band. And I didn't like it. I, I didn't care for it because it sounded like Judas Priest, you know what I mean? Right. And, it was, and I, th- I thought of the statement, oh, fuck, they're going to fucking crucify me in this shit, you know what I mean? I'm like, this is not going to be good. And then I heard it on the radio on the commercial, and I was like, it's not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, it didn't really matter what it did give it, it's especially getting those copies that are rare, because you're getting a copy with a Dupree and a London copy, and those are limited state files. Limited runs of those. So that's, that's a made of a, more of a specialty thing for me. And always a story, you know, people ask me about that. But that's how it happened. Gotcha. Play at this point with uh, Ride You Through the Night and Heartbeat, and that was pretty cool. Right. Well, actually, Heartbeat was the one that opened the door, uh, to be really real. I mean, it's, uh, that, that we didn't really have a whole lot of budget for a Heartbeat. But we had a friend at the time named David Bellino, who, who's um, uh, a guy who was getting into editing music videos. And he um, said, oh, I'll help you guys with a music video. And, uh, you know, starting a big-ass Super 16 black-and-white camera of film, you know what I mean? So that's why he gets that cool-ass look to it. But we had no light because we didn't really have a whole lot of money for it. And the walk around with a film camera, not a video camera, it requires lighting. But, uh, you know, you saw the video. We had a lot of great cast of characters in it. And uh, MTG goes, oh, we want to put on rotation. And, oh, we picked it up. I think we paid $600 for that video. 
So around the same yeah. time when you got signed uh, big there with the priest, uh, I think Odin almost did the same thing where they had a name change and they became Lost Boys. I always thought that was kind of odd. Yeah, I don't know much about how their transition was, but um, I know that uh, that at the time I think that they did change the name and all that. But I, I really didn't know much about it. I know that there was, you know, there were uh, hardworking guys and that they were trying to make it, you know, as hard as they wanted to make through the through, through the bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I was reading this thing uh, online. I don't know, maybe it was a few years ago, but they were saying that Axl Rose ripped off his whole look, sound, everything from Randy O. Do you buy that? No, I think that uh, Axl Rose didn't rip off anyone other than looking at old London pictures. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I mean, look, go look at my photos and my outfits and look at him and look at his outfits. Um, and we had a lot, we had a big beef at the time, so. Uh, no, Randy, you know, uh, I don't think, um, I don't know, man. I think that that's giving him a lot of credit for that. That's beyond credit. No. Um, <laughs> no, it's definitely not. Because um, already Lizzie was already doing the whole flyer thing with Mitch, you know what I mean? So all we were doing was just adding more color to it, and we just became a little bit harder. Uh, so I don't know. I guess it's up to a vote. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to play, as, as we said, we won't beat a dead horse here. I know you've told these stories a million times, but you got to play with Izzy Stradlin and you got to play with Slash and Steven Adler, all three? No. What happened is I got to play with Steven Adler and and um, Izzy Stradlin together. Okay. And Lizzie Gray and myself and, um, and Brian West. Slash came in well, I was not done there because I got fired for a minute. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I got fired for a minute, and I think Slash came in, and they were going to get this other singer, or they got this other guy, singer Paul Volta or something. Uh, it was a guy down, down the street from the where we rehearsed. And, uh, but, um, no, and I wasn't there for that, but I think he lasted maybe a week or two weeks, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was quick. So what was it Surprise. like What was it like to see those guys go to the high level of success that they did? Was that crazy or what? I thought it was a, I thought they were the luckiest fucking bunch of fucking stars in the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they were. I think they were the luckiest band in the world. I, I to this day, I think they're the luckiest band in the world and I'm surprised that people still want to see them and I'm glad they still do because it keeps us relevant. Uh, you know, this genre, this music, this period of, of, of music, it's, it's almost being phased out. You know what I mean? Right. right. It's really, it's really, really obvious that by watching it on television that uh, it's very minimal. You don't hear it very much. So for me, when Guns N' Roses or Molly Crew or, or any of these ladies' bands that are guys that are in my fucking realm, you know, I don't really get like, wow, I'll boost the fucking money, but I feel like it still makes, makes them really good on it. And it keeps, you know, it keeps the, uh, the, uh, the fans contacting me all the time. I mean, I get a lot of messages from eBay, um, to a merch, uh, in my website. Do you think a lot of it was luck for the bands in the 80s? 
No, I think that it's just, it, I think it's just right, the right, the right place at the right time. And, 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 and you know, and, uh, it's just, you know, man, it was just like, uh, it was a phenomenon. It was a phenomenon. You know what I mean? There was something that I, you know, I didn't expect anything like that, but, uh, you know, more power to them. I think it's great. It was funny for me because I, I always liked Guns N' Roses, but I liked Motley Crue better. I liked L.A. Guns better. There was a lot of bands I liked better than Guns N' Roses, and I almost just saw them all as equals. But for somehow over the years, uh, you know, Guns N' Roses are kind of like way up there and everybody's underneath them. Yeah, well, no, no, because uh, I, I guarantee you um, that they were, they were to... Pick themselves against another band. Uh, there's a lot of good bands out there still from back in the day. That can, you know, from Jeff Gooder, they are. You know, so I, I don't think they should be looking at below them. I think they should be more happy to be still playing and people still wanting to hear you. But you know, it's it's, it's too late in the game to cop an attitude. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So what do you think of this Motley Crue tour? I see you tweet a lot of Motley Crue stuff. So what do you think about the big tour with Crue, Poison, Leopard, and uh, Joan Jett? What do you think? Uh, I think it's great, like I said. Um, they they are, uh, you know, putting these things together and somebody wants to buy into it. I think it's a great idea. Shit, I wish that was opening for them instead of Joan Jett, at least. Uh, but, uh, yeah, man, it's uh, more power to them. I support that. You know, hopefully it'll bring more. More, more fans into the music, you know, because we're, we're losing fans to the hip hop. For sure. Yeah, I thought Joan Jett was kind of an odd choice. I was hoping to see Cinderella or, you know, somebody of that nature. But, you know, hey, she's a legend. It's all good. Yeah, well, you know, children are all, children are all females, which I look at as a plus. You know, children are all that, that side of it where there's a lot of more girls that follow a lot of fans, so. <laughs> one one thing about uh, Motley Crue, so you know Vince Neil leaves. I don't know, it was ninety one or ninety two. He was out. Did you ever think about trying out? Oh, they wouldn't have me, dude. I'm 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 in. Uh, <laughs> what? Why not? Try what? They got Vince Neil, man. Come on now. <laughs> no, my voice is definitely up. up uh, it's not in that register of. of uh, Thinness, so it'd be a great compliment towards their tone because I'm more thicker, high end, but high, 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 but with a thicker voice under it. So, yeah, I, you know, it wouldn't be a match, it wouldn't be a big deal, it'd be easy to cake. But, you know, learning all those songs, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was a tough time. I mean, you figure, like you're talking about, we talk about the 80s, the metal was such a phenomenon. And then we get to like 91 and it was like, it was over. You know what I mean? And uh, I don't think there was a lot of options for Motley Crue. Um, it, even with Vince, they probably wouldn't have fared well. It was just pretty much, well, you know, you saw everybody from the 80s was blacklisted for the most part. Well, I think I think it's great that there's a big interest and uh, it came together pretty quick. So that's killing me. Yeah. Maybe people will put more shows together like that. Add more bands and, and more, more to it. Liven it up a little more. No doubt, no doubt. Well, Nader, it's been a pleasure speaking with you, man. I'm glad I got to talk to you in person here Thank or you, on the Mike. phone. Thank you so much for having me. Anything you want to tell the fans? Yes, come on down and reach me at uh, www.mudlandtheband.net. 
Uh, we're online up on Twitter in London, some number, which is too long to, to say, but the magnet me later on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, stay tuned because we've got more stuff coming up. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks, brother. Well, that's it for the Metalcast. We couldn't go all night. What? Why not? I hope you enjoyed it. For more 80s metal goodness, join me on Twitter at 80sGlamMetal1.